Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Passion drive and patience what brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive ebay motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers roof racks exhaust kits led headlights and more whether you're into speed power or style ebay motors has got you covered with over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die you'll always find exactly what you're looking for And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. It's your inside pass to everything Saints football. And the kick is good. We'll take you to places most fans never go. We'll watch from 60. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room. Following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the 2022 season. That is going to be a touchdown. Taysom Hill took the Taysom TD. Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. Brought to you by the Lamarck Automotive Complex. There must be a reason. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby! Welcome into another edition Inside Black and Gold. Steve Geller along with Jeff Nowak. Brought to you by the Lamarck Automotive Complex. There must be a reason. Jeff, there's been tons of reasons why this Saints team has come up short of late. Unfortunately, way too many to count. You can call it injuries. We've gone through penalty issues. 
turnovers are still there play calling even feel like we are at wit's end with the rest of the hoodats out there yeah it's been it's been ugly and it's hard to see you know we we can talk all we want about the things they could fix it's just you know you get to the point where it's really hard to see this team figuring it out and turning it around and you're getting late in the season uh, but we're gonna get into a lot of that we're gonna start with you know i went on a long rant about you know how i think dennis allen should give up the defensive play calling and i went ahead and asked him about that on Friday. And so we have his answer. We're kind of getting to that. We're also going to kind of pick studs and duds from the game itself. We have kind of gotten out of the flow of doing that the last few weeks, but I think it's a good way to kind of revisit some of what happened in that cluster of a Thursday night football game. So we'll get into that. And then the final segment, we're going to get into a topic that I know is going to be kind of awkward, um, but I think it's, it's necessary when you are looking at the two and five team, that is in the situation that it's in and it's should the saints trade or look into trading Alvin Kamara. Um, <gasps> yeah. Because you're at the point where, you know, it's like if you had your first round pick, I think you would be right where the Panthers are. But the only reason you're not is because you've already made a mistake. And it's like, okay, so where do you double down? Anyway, we'll get into that. But first off, I wanted to hear from you, Steve on, you know, what was the vibe on the sideline on the lot in the locker room out in Phoenix? Cause you were out there and you got to witness that firsthand because it's really hard to believe that this team is not kind of going to start coming apart at the seams a little bit when things just continue to go the way they've been going. Yeah, obviously things started out great. You know, we, it looked like the, this team was cruising, getting on the board right away, scoring a touchdown on their first possession of the game. I think it was the first time all season they scored a touchdown on their opening drive. And obviously spirits high, everybody smiling, high-fiving. Uh, really noticed Jameis Winston being that rah-rah coach kind of cheerleader on the sideline, getting up in everybody's grill, providing the positive you know, feedback. Even when I will say things were getting tough, Jameis uh, was very vocal on this squad. But I don't know if you could, you could sense any kind of shift when things were down. Uh, they started to, to, you know, the crumble a little with those back-to-back -back pick sixes for this team obviously was the big turning point of the game. And I will say this too, I thought the, you talk about a late, late arriving crowd in Arizona, those seats finally did, did get filled up. But when kickoff was first out there, it was pretty empty. And I felt like I saw more black and gold in the crowd than I did any kind of red and black or red and white. I got to say though, the the intensity, that crowd I felt was, you felt more energy at the the London game. The Arizona crowd really uh, wasn't anything where I thought the decibels were, any, were affecting anything. The roof was open. But for, for me, this team definitely lacked some energy, lacked that life. And I feel like we've seen that missing the past couple of games just from an all-around standpoint, especially though the defense. And, and I think that's contributing to a lot of the missed tackles. It's just the inability to get to the ball, even. They're not swarming around the football. I'll say the explosives and, the, you know, the touchdowns that happened in the second half, they can't let that happen. Um, missed tackles are always going to hurt. If you have a missed tackle, you should have, you know, eight or nine or ten guys rallying to the football. So we got to break down this film. We have to get back after it. We have to find a way. All right, now, you know, we, we have to find our, our solution. We have to be the solution. We have the right personnel in the building to win. We have, you know, all the ability to win. We have to put that together. You can't put, you, know, you can't take two steps forward one game and, and three steps back the next. One interesting stat that I was able to pull up this week, you know, 
Tyron Matthews is actually second on this team in tackles right now with 26. Pete Warner has almost doubled that with 51, and he's you know obviously up technically leading the NFL in uh, solo tackles prior to everyone else playing in week eight. He was tied going into the week. He had three, I believe, so he might get passed. But the stat that I thought was interesting is they've had 57 missed tackles. Pete Werner is actually tied with Bradley Roby for the team lead at seven. But I mean, part of that is because Pete Werner is making a lot more tackle attempts than everybody else. So he's going to be up there. But, you know, bizarrely, that is actually on par with what you had last year. They missed 133 total tackles last year. This year, you know, you're averaging about eight per game. That would give you about 136. So the missed tackle issues aren't necessarily new. I think it's just the moments you're seeing them this season are standing out. And the frequency at which they're happening, they're they're happening in succession, right? Like you see one missed tackle, then there's another, then there's another, then there's another. All of a sudden, Eno Benjamin is 40 yards down the field. And, you know, the the other major issue, and I think Cam alluded to it there, it's like you're going to force turnovers. Like this whole like no turnovers thing is is bizarre at its base level and it's confusing at, at, at another level. Like, you know, at a certain point, you should just get lucky. Right. Like at a certain point, the ball should be getting tipped up in the air and someone should be running under it. Like you don't even give the defense credit for that interception more. So it's like, okay, yeah, you got one, but it's like, it's like they're not even in the right position to get them. Like it, so it's beyond, you know, forcing a turnover. It's like something is not clicking with this defensive group. And I don't know what it is, but you know, I think at some point your head coach needs to relinquish the play calling duties when you have two defensive coordinators, technically, you have Chris Richard yeah. and Ryan Nielsen, and neither of them are calling plays. And I wouldn't look at this team and say, yeah, this is a very well-coached group. You know, there are, there are fair questions to be asked about Dennis Allen being a head coach. You know, we kind of gave him a pass on that 8-28 and record with the Raiders. But now his career head coaching numbers are 10-33. and They've gone the wrong direction. So it's like you have to kind of start to wonder, you know, it's like this is a guy, this is a guy who's struggling – in the head coaching role and he should be focusing on being a head coach as much as possible. And, you know, we've seen Ryan Nielsen call plays did it in the preseason and he would likely be the choice to do it again. You know, I did get a chance to ask DA about this on uh, Friday after the game, they did a conference call and uh, here's what he, here's what he had to say on that subject. Obviously there have been struggles on the defensive side of the ball and that can be attributed to players missing. But, you know, is there any thought going into just, you know, changing up how some of the things are done from a defensive perspective, be it play calling, game planning, that sort of thing? Well, I think we're going to look at everything, but I don't think I don't think we're going anywhere in terms of play calling. But I do think that we've got to we've got to look at look, we're not getting the results that we want. And so we've got to look at what we're doing and 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 how we can do it better and and we've done it pretty good around here we're just not doing it as good as we need to right now I thought that answer was interesting in the sense that he said everything's on the table but he yeah. said pretty definitively <laughs> that that play calling isn't going to change so maybe everything isn't on the table maybe they aren't necessarily looking at everything and i do think that when you're looking at a defense that's struggling and 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 your team that's struggling and a 2 and 5 record it's like you got to you got to make changes somewhere Right. And it's like you, you don't want to make drastic changes. But, you know, if there there are things you can do to help spark a defensive group and just doing the same thing week after week is not is not it. You got to do something. And I think that's where you should start, in my opinion. 
I think that's a, a key word you said there too is spark. That there's been no oomph, there's been no fire, there's been nothing to the defense this year. And we've said this before too. Obviously, it was supposed to be a major strength of this squad going into the season. We raved about obviously the depth in the secondary, which the football gods have punished us and now you know decimated them with injuries. The front is still to me not getting enough pressure. We've talked about the middle being a big issue. Uh, the, that that pressure up the gut is just hasn't been there. I've wondered about what's going on with Marcus Davenport in a contract year. Really haven't seen much from him. Peyton Turner, a guy that can't stay on the field. Cam Jordan's being Cam Jordan. I think he's been having a solid season, as you could so far at least. But other than that, you know, we talked about David Onyemata, Shai Tuttle, uh, those guys in the, in the middle of, the, of that defensive line just not being able to get the job done for the pressure to help maybe force some mistakes from opposing quarterbacks. Uh, another thing you're dead on about was the fact that when we do get a tip ball, it's not like the ball is hovering in the air waiting for someone to come up and snag. It seems like it's batted down and, and drops to the turf or, or grass where there's no one around. I haven't seen that many tip balls. Like, I don't think you've had that many. You know, and it's like one, it's, one just stood out to me with the Arizona game. I forget when it was exactly, but Shai it was Tuttle had one. It was tipped and it goes boom right to the turf. It wasn't like a, it get, it was floating in the air at all for anyone to come in and grab it. Yeah, but I mean, like you haven't seen a lot of those plays, right? Like there no. haven't been close interceptions, right? Like throughout a season, a lot of times you'll see a defender go for an interception. It's like, oh, he should have had it. But then again, oh, that's why he's on defense, right? That, that's the that's the cliche line everyone says. If he could catch that, he would be a receiver, you know? And Right. That was like the knock them. of Paulson Adebo in training camp. We said all those PBUs were the interceptions. Right, right. And, you know, there, those plays haven't been there. You haven't seen that. You haven't seen like, oh, he should have intercepted that. You haven't even said that throughout a game, right? Like the secondary hasn't played terribly, but they just, there have not been impact plays. There was one play where Tyron Matthew undercut a Kirk Cousins pass, and you were like, there you go. That's what you were expecting to see. out of one beats are open. No, not so much. No, it's been not good. I also don't have too much issue with the pressure they have been getting. I think they have been getting pressure. The issue in that game was more contained. They did not contain Kyler Murray on a few key plays. And the other issue is the run defense. Like, it doesn't really matter if you can get pressure on a quarterback if you're allowing them to run for first downs. If you're allowing them to plow it into the end zone on a key possession on second down with Eno Benjamin, right? Like that touchdown where he just kind of like, like he was stopped and the defense just could not finish off that play. And, you know, if they stop them for a field goal there, they're down 14 points. The offense goes down the field and scores a touchdown. It is a one possession game with plenty of time left. And the defense has to get the ball back to the offense. But you have a chance, right? Allowing a touchdown there essentially ended the game. Weird stuff could have happened. You might have been able to recover onside kicks, whatever. That Allowing that touchdown made it so you could not win that game just by playing straightforward football. At that point, allowing that touchdown meant you needed something weird to happen. And the way you allowed it to me is just this season, this defense and how they've struggled in a microcosm. You had three people who had a chance to make that tackle, and you still allowed Eno Benjamin, who ran for 92 yards. This team is allowing over 120 yards per game on the ground. This is a team that went almost three years without allowing a single 100-yard rusher, and now teams are averaging 120 yards on the ground against them. You allowed Eno Benjamin to plow in to end that game 
with with almost no interference. And to me, that you know, that is the issue. You can get a sack on Kyler Murray all you want if they can just run it up the middle and you have nobody waiting there to 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 blow them up. <laughs> you know, they're just getting unaccosted into the secondary. Like Tyron Matthew is second on the team in tackles, not because he's been a great tackler. We know that. We know he hasn't been a great right. tackler. We knew going in he wasn't going to be a great tackler. He's leading the team in tackles because the front seven are not stopping the ball at the line of scrimmage. Yeah, and like you mentioned, the, the run defense, it's like, what? how has there been such a huge drop-off from that where it used to be another major strength of this defense and it just seems every week whoever comes in is able to just run all over them. I, I don't know how that gets fixed. Is it, is it come down to talent now? Is it not coaching? Is it the fact that this defense has suddenly gotten old too quick? Well, I think we're, we're going to get into a little bit more of that later when we talk about you know the whole, the whole trade option thing. But yeah, I mean, part of it, I think, is the defense aging. Part of it is guys not being in the right spots. Part of it is, part of it is scheme. You know, and and I think that's why when you look at a defense that's struggling, it's like you have a head coach who's calling your defensive plays. So you you are now questioning, okay, is this defense being set up to fail? Which I think in certain moments it is. Is this team being coached at the top level well enough? Which I would argue it's not. And so like, you know, if if this is going to go down in flames, you'd like to at least exhaust all of your options. And at this point, I don't think you have. Um, and so that's where that's where I'd like to see something change. Yeah, I can't argue at all with that. And the defense has been frustrating. There hasn't been that moment where they they've really stood tall and looked at have stood out this year. Uh, and, and even the, the two victories, there has been there's been nothing special about that unit. No. And, you know, I said this on the podcast after the game, my my basically my rant session to myself in the in the middle of the night. You know, this team is two and five, and that's a generous two and five. This team could just as easily be 0 and seven. You know, if not for a a franchise record comeback against the Falcons and a 60-yard Taysom Hill touchdown, which was like not a guarantee. They were trailing 32-31 late in that game because they blew a 31-19 lead. Like this team could easily be 0 and seven, and you would be you know, then, then, then the, the real alarm bells would be going off right now. It's like, you know, you're still talking about maybe they can turn this around at Oh, and seven, you know, the, the ax is coming down, right? Like, like things are bad. And we talked to DA about it, you know, to an extent, he says, you know, what they need to do is get some players back. And I don't disagree with that. Right. right. You went to this game without Marshawn Lattimore, without Paulson Adebo, Bradley Roby went out in the first quarter and did not return. Right. Like you were down to Alante Taylor and Chris Harris, a guy who just came off IR and a guy who got elevated from the practice squad. Those were your two cornerbacks. Your next option was Bryce Thompson. Right. You didn't have Jarvis Landry. You didn't have Michael Thomas again. Right. You didn't have Andres Pete. You didn't have Peyton Turner, you know, Deontay Hardy's on IR, PJ Williams is on IR. Like, I get it. You you do need to get some of those players back. And to an extent, you do give them a bit of a pass, but you got to find uh, ways to win games, man. It was scary too seeing Alante uh, Taylor go down. Well, I don't know if it was third or fourth quarter because he hasn't been conditioned and hasn't been back in the flow. But luckily, that was just cramping. He came to the sideline and was just guzzling Gatorade to, you know, to help up with that. But he didn't miss I mean, a snap. <laughs> right, exactly. And uh, I will say at least Andrus Pete was in attendance. He was doing some work pregame with some of those practice squad guys. So hopefully someone that is closer to coming back. I know he draws a lot of ire from Saints fans, 
but Pete really does, to me at least, make a big difference in the run game. I do have optimism, and I think our medical people have some optimism. Now, there's no crystal ball to say for sure whether they're back for this next game, but I think they're making a lot of progress, and I'm hopeful that we're going to get um, at least a few of these guys back. That was DA talking about some of the guys possibly coming back, and who knows who he's talking about. That's the thing. Like You'd like to say, well, maybe he's talking about Mike Thomas. Maybe he's talking about Marshawn Lattimore. Maybe he's talking about, you know, you don't know yeah. who he's talking about. But and but even then, it was like he's still couching that with at least a few of these guys back, right? Like you're you're not getting everybody back probably in week eight, even with the ten days off. So it's like, who is it? If you still don't have guys like Mike Thomas, Jarvis Landry out there, you're getting close to being like, what are they done for the season? Because the season might be over by the time they come back. The fact that we don't see Jarvis, we don't see Michael Thomas even on the practice field or just walking around the building in the locker room. That's a little bit of concern to me too. Yeah, definitely. I, I agree with that. The team is getting the weekend off mm-hmm. and they're going to be back to their normal schedule on Monday. So I think that's kind of like when you talk to players, they'll say like there's kind of two bye weeks, quote unquote, bye weeks in the season. One is your actual bye and the other one is post Thursday night football because you do get that extra three days that you would not normally get. You get the Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So, you know, in a lot of instances, I'd be like, no, don't give them a break. They need to work. (laughs) Um, But in an instance where you were dealing with these crazy injuries, it probably makes sense to give guys a rest. And, you know, you don't have a bye week until week 14. So, you know, it's 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 there. And I I get it. So they're going to get back to work on Monday and we'll kind of have to see. We'll get the first injury report for week eight on Wednesday. So you want to be hopeful and say, the Thursday night football schedule made it impossible for some of these guys to get back in time. You right. Want, like that's what you're hoping is the case. There's no reason to think it because, you know, for a guy like Mike Thomas, you're now going into week five uh, since his injury for Jarvis, you're heading into week four, you know, uh, Marshawn, you give a little bit more. I, I saw people complaining about Marshawn. Like he had a significant injury. I mean, come on. Right. Yeah. And, and, and he's missed, he's missed a week and a half of football essentially. <laughs> So I don't, I don't, I don't blame him. And he was playing really well uh, going into that. He got injured giving an extra effort on a play. So I'm not, I'm not giving him too much grief. I was surprised Paul Smedibo was inactive, but it, that makes a little more sense now that why Alante Taylor was getting first team reps in practice throughout the week. But yeah, ho- ho- you got to get some guys back and maybe you can start to turn things around. But even if you do, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it's going to be enough. What's going to be interesting this week too is, is Jameis going to be back? Is he healthy enough to take over as starting quarterback after that performance from Andy Dalton this week, those questions are definitely percolating even more. What are you talking about? I started Andy Dalton in fantasy and he got me 36 points. I'm going to win my fantasy week because of Andy Dalton. That's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) A fantasy stud, but maybe not so much a game stud. Yeah. You you put up big numbers in that game, you know, like that might've been his best statistical performance in years, but it's like, you know, when you're down by 20. (laughs) Yeah. That's what makes fantasy football so wild. It's like, you look at, you would think a three interception with two pick sixes and a loss, but wait a minute, he ends up being a fantasy, you know, stud for somebody because of the passing yards and the three scores. Yeah, he's gonna end up being a top five quarterback in fantasy this week. And no, no Saints fan will ever look at that and be like, well, he had a good game, right? Right. But yeah, I mean, like I look like a genius because this is not a local league. This is my Myrtle Beach league where I actually ended up starting. I picked up Eno Benjamin last week. I started Eno Benjamin. He oh, had a big game. Man. I started Taysom Hill at tight end. He caught a touchdown. And I started Andy Dalton at quarterback. He got 36 points. So this guy's got to be like, what the heck is happening? You, you um, got the crystal so- ball for sure there.
Yeah, so, I mean, the Saints are in trouble, but my fantasy team is feeling great about that game. All right, let's, let's wrap this segment up there. We're going to come back. We're going to get into some studs and duds. I got a few things I'd like to complain about, so uh, well, let's let's do that. If you're listening to Inside Black and Gold, brought to you by the Lamar Automotive Complex, there must be a reason. Stick around. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Here on Inside Black and Gold, brought to you by the Lamarck Automotive Complex. There must be a reason, and there also must be a reason why the Saints played so badly in this game. We're going to get into some of the studs, but, you know, there weren't that many of them, so it's going to be mostly about the duds here from Week 7, a 42-34 to 34 loss, an 8-point loss that's way more generous than it should be for the Saints. And so let's start with you, Steve. And we'll start with the positives because there's not going to be that many. Um, but let's start with who was your stud from the week seven debacle that was out in Glendale? Well, I feel the need, the need for Rashid. Man, Rashid Shahid has been awesome. I just wish we would see more of him. Obviously, now his second touch uh, opens the, the game for the Saints with a huge touchdown. And is that... We talk about spark. We talk about energy. Just seems to be that guy, that seem, a, a special presence there. And I just wish we got to see more of him. Unfortunately, he did have a small mishap, I guess you would say, in the return game where the turf monster got him, where it looked like he had a decent return ahead of him. But all in all, Rashid Shahid's been a huge plus, and I just want to get him more involved in this offense. Just two touches seems pretty absurd to me. Yeah, it's funny because you could have gone with either of his names on that kind of that little catchphrase you have for him. So you went with Rashid. I would have gone with Shahid, but either way, it got an Eid in there and it works. But yeah, no, I mean, he has had one of the more remarkable starts to his Saints career in mm-hmm. that uh, I don't know if you could be more efficient. If you're if you're one of those on pace for people, Rashid Shahid is currently on pace for six carries for 264 yards and six touchdowns, a, a clean 44 yards a carry. And six catches for 318 yards and six touchdowns, a clean 53 yards per reception. So at this point, you know, the facts will tell you that if you give Rashid the ball, he's going to get all the way to the end zone and he will not get tackled. I mean, that, that's just that's just the numbers. The numbers don't lie. But yeah, so this is the second consecutive game. Rashid Shahid has had a long touchdown in the first quarter and then not touched the ball again. He played 10 snaps in this game. That's up one from a week before. You know, I... <laughs> I had people tell me, well, he's not worked in the game plan, whatever. You know, you don't you don't need to be worked in the game plan to be the person getting the ball on a particular play, right? I, I get it. You, you know, the, his route tree is limited. So you're not going to say, oh, you need to force him five, six targets. But, you know, why not give him another fly sweep, right? Well, why not call another fly sweep and see what he can do, right? You don't need to call six of them. <laughs> but like, find a way to get the ball in his hands. Get in the ball on a screen, you know, do something. To, to incorporate this dynamic athlete into your offense and doing it once is great. You can't just do it once and say, yeah, okay, see you next week. Like that can't happen. The one stat that I thought was interesting, 
Rashid Shahid joins Marquise Brown, Marquise Hollywood Brown, the, the Cardinals yeah. player who wasn't there, as the only two players dating back to 1991, which is when kind of the, the stats are, are reliable. They're the only two players to score 40-plus yard touchdowns on their first two career touches. That's unreal, right? Which is just kind of a – it's wild that they can even find that stat that fast. But, you know, that's how impactful he's been. It would be even more ironic, I guess, if Brown was active for that game. Well, yeah, right. It was. It's funny that it happened against the Cardinals and, and Hollywood Brown wasn't there. You know, he's basically just like – it's like a Space Jam thing where he just like sapped all of his powers. And yeah. now it's Rashid with those powers. But, yeah, no, he's – He's been excellent. I'd like to see him do a little more in the return game, right? Like, I'd like to see him, you know, I didn't expect the long touchdowns out of him. I expected more of an impact in the return game. Yeah. And so you're hoping he can be more impactful there. But, yeah, I mean, you see the vision with him for sure. And now we know for sure why this team was we, – we talked about hiding him in the preseason and didn't want other teams to get a glimpse of what this guy's capable of. Yeah, no, I mean, it's he's 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 a special special type of athlete and you got to find a way to get him more involved. Now, my stud is another rookie. And I think all you need to know about uh, this player's performance is that it actually managed to get a slight bit of emotion out of Dennis Allen, which to this point, I wasn't sure was possible. But here's that. Yeah, I, I really liked what I supplied to him. I saw a guy that, that freaking fought and competed on every single play, and that's that's really what we based what we do here defensively around is guys going out fighting and competing. And I thought he challenged on every single play, and, and he didn't win every one of them, but I thought he challenged on every single one of them. So I was impressed with his performance. And, and certainly, um, you know, if he stays healthy, uh, I see him being a part of what we're trying to do as we move forward. Wow, Coach Allen saying freaking – yeah, he's pretty, <laughs> he's he's pretty passionate on that one, huh? <laughs> uh, yeah, and obviously he's talking about Alante Taylor, the rookie out of Tennessee. The same Alante Taylor that everyone told me was a terrible pick because the Saints were so stacked at, at quarterback that he was never going to see the field, and they just wasted a second-round draft pick on a special teams player. Well, you needed him in week seven. It only took seven weeks for the reason you drafted Alante Taylor to become obvious, right? You can never have too many quality defensive backs on your roster they get hurt they miss games you need them and for a guy to just come off of injured reserve he missed four weeks and came back and got thrown directly into the fire against deandre freaking hopkins and i thought he had an excellent game you know he he didn't win them all like like da said you know he had some rough reps he but he was targeted five times in coverage he allowed one catch for 17 yards he stood up on a third down play to deandre hopkins on the first drive I think it was the second drive that he got targeted in the end zone against Rondale Moore and he ended up drawing an offensive pass interference that ended that and forced a field goal. Later in the game, he was stride for stride with Robbie Anderson down the field. He played 100% of the snaps in that game. And like you mentioned, he went off the field, you know, with a cramp at one point, but he did not miss a snap and don't really need to go too deep to find the explanation for why he was cramping. I mean, he was in there giving it his all for the entire game. And for perspective, Chris Harris on the other side was targeted six times. He allowed four catches and was flagged twice. Early in the game, they were going at Alante. They were going at the rookie. But by the end of the game, they were like, yeah, you know what? We're going to go try to target Chris Harris because Alante was playing that well. And, you know, I, I think for all the things that went badly for as brutal as the defense has been, um, you know, one of the reasons it feels so drastically bad right now is because you do not have quality 
young depth at a lot of positions. But with Elante Taylor looking like exactly what you thought he was as a second round pick at cornerback, it makes you feel a little better about the defense as you go forward and you have to make some really difficult decisions in, in how you can start to fix this. And what also I've been impressed with with Taylor since, you know, we got to see him from the start of training camp and going leading up into the season with everything is obviously the air of confidence he has about himself, very well-spoken, and you could just tell has a great football mind. And obviously you need that on this defense uh, for sure, but he just seems someone that is able to, at that cornerback position, to when there is that bad play, to put it aside and, and get up for the next one. Like you said, there was a lot of controversy, or at least um, Criticism. a lot of anger towards the pick when you know the Saints went after him going, oh, he's just going to be a, a special teams contributor in year one. Well, we're seeing a lot more from that right now and definitely how worthy he was of being that second-round second, second round pick for this team. Yeah, and he, and he is a, also a quality special teams contributor, and you right. need those too when you see how bad this special teams unit has been. You know, like that's important. But yeah, when you talk to him, he does not seem like a rookie. You know, like, no. like you can usually tell when you're talking to a rookie and like you're still kind of get, getting the – getting the ropes of like how to talk to the media and how to present themselves and like how to answer certain questions. I mean, he, he looks like a guy who's been doing it for years. I was going to say, yeah, some guys seem like they're, you know, like you said, that rookie being inexperienced, they're afraid to say something wrong. And Tay Taylor, there just, you know, always speaking what he's feeling. And he's, he, he's just, like I said, has that air of confidence and swag about him. You believe in him the way he believes in himself, I guess is the best way to say it. Yeah. And this also wasn't a one-off, right? Like he looked really good coming in uh, in relief of Marshawn Lattimore when Marshawn yeah. got ejected against the Bucks, right? Mm. Marshawn went out of the game, Tom Brady immediately, which, you know, you knew he was going to, right? Alante Taylor, the rookie comes on the field and Tom Brady immediately goes at him. He had two pass breakups in that game, right? He, he kept the Saints alive late in that game by, by, forcing, by forcing kicks. And, you know, so, you know, he, he played well in that game. He hurt his knee in practice. He missed four weeks, comes back, Looks every bit like that was not a mirage. He's going to be a good player. And like DA said, he's going to be involved in the defense going forward. So we're going to see a lot more of him, I'm sure. You know, and it's just going to be a question of who's available if you can get some of these some of these other guys back. But he's also a guy who you might you might incorporate into the slot. So maybe even if you do get both Marshawn Lattimore and Paulson Debo back, he's still a guy you can get on the field in that way. Um, but let's let's go. We we've talked enough. You know, I don't want to spend too much time talking about good things, considering how badly <laughs> that game went. So, Steve, why don't you hit me with your first dud of uh, from week seven? I'm going with someone off the field. I know the players are there to make the plays, but for me, it's a guy not getting some players involved enough, and that's the offensive coordinator, Pete Carmichael Jr. What do you know? Taysom Hill actually had a reception this game, and it was a touchdown. But I feel like. It was, wasn't enough Taysom involvement. I, want to, I wanted to see more, and it seemed like in that second half of the game, I think he had two touches after halftime, and then we didn't see him again. I made a comment. I had to make sure number seven was still even on the sideline just because of his lack of involvement with the game plan. I understand you're trying to play catch up and trying to stretch the field more in that second half, but still, I don't know. I just I need more Taysom. I, I know they talked about his rib injury still being an issue where he gets uh, sprayed with whatever before games to help numb the pain. So maybe you're trying to save your guy when the game was out of reach, but it just seems inexcusable to have one of your top weapons not involved at all. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't take as much issue with that just in the sense that, so 
in seven games this season. So he's missed one of them. Week three, he was limited. So you don't want to look too much into that. Week two, he suffered another rib injury. That's what Kaylee Hartung reported at, uh, you know, during that game is he had the rib injury in the preseason. And then he also cracked his rib again in week two. And that's what kept him out in week three. And so that's where he's been getting the numbing spray on the ribs. But even, even beyond that, like, you know, if we want to complain, we could complain about the entire season, but he had 26% of the snaps in week one. He got 30% of the snaps in week five. That was the game against the Seahawks. He got 21% of the snaps in week six, and he got 25% of the snaps in week seven. So if that's their kind of goal for him is to get him on the field for like 20 to 35% of the snaps and also be included in a lot of special teams action, I think that's where that's where you're at. And I do think the 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 position you were in in that game played a role, right? Like this is a guy who you know is susceptible to injury and you've seen it. He's also playing through a good bit of pain. And it's hard to ask a guy to play through an injury in a game you're losing by 20 points and the quarterback is throwing pick six after pick six. Like, so I get it. I think if that game was closer, you'd have seen him more. So I, I don't know. And I thought they were a little more creative with him in the first half, right? There was that one play where they stacked Kevin White, Marquez Calloway, and, and uh, Camara, and he yeah. threw it out on the screen and he got a first down. You know, they threw him the ball, which is something I was asking for. So, you know, I, I give him credit for that. And he did complete two passes. You know, one of them was a long one to Chris Olave. So I don't know. Like, I would take more issue with the Rashid part. Like, I actually, I agree with the criticism of Pete Carmichael in the sense that, like, you know, Rashid Shahid should get more touches in a game, right? Rashid Shahid should get more than 10 snaps or at the very least get a play call for him. And they didn't do that. And so... I think there is still criticism of Pete Carmichael, even if I don't necessarily agree on the taste of the mill part. Yeah, now, going a little backtracking to, I guess I'll give an honorable mention, Stud. Uh, you mentioned tight end. Jawan Johnson, a heck of a game for the Saints. Uh, I know this the, the team's hurting right now at the tight end position, but, you know, two scores for him, and I think he made five receptions. I know the team, the team just needs more output from that position, and I feel like he's done decent when called upon. He just doesn't get enough looks as well i feel like yeah well without him traveling out who knows how long he's going to be up but he's i'm sure he's going to be more involved um but you 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 stole my my lane there man it's my turn to complain and you decided to go back into positivity we're not in positivity land right now we're negative nancy's at this part of the program okay (laughs) and to me the biggest dud in this game um it's not andy dalton although he did have his struggles obviously it's marquez calloway it is a wide receiver who Andy Dalton loves. <laughs> he targets Marquez Callaway. He trusts him in big moments. And, you know, I think part of the reason you trust Marquez Callaway is because he has excellent hands. He has shown throughout his career that he has excellent hands. We saw it against the Panthers when he went up and just snagged a touchdown that really should have been an interception late in that game as the Saints tried to make a comeback. And for him to have the game he did, you know, you, you squarely in the dud column, you know, and I think he would agree. He was the target on that initial touchdown in the red zone. You can't blame that on him, but he didn't he didn't fight for the ball at the very least. You know, he was just kind of stayed covered. And that's been my biggest criticism of him prior to this game was he does not create separation well enough. He kind of stays covered way too often. And that's why, like, he makes a lot of spectacular catches, but it's because he has to make spectacular catches because he's never just wide open. And in this game, he finally did get open. On that pick six, he created separation. And it was almost like he was surprised by it because the ball came in. Andy Dalton, who we said earlier in the season, throws a very catchable ball. It's not coming in with the same pace as it might from Jameis. And so it's easier to catch. Well, maybe if it was coming a little faster, he wouldn't have popped it up in the air the way he did because it hit him directly in the hands. 
and then it just popped up in the air. And Marco Wilson, yes, that Marco Wilson, the formerly of LSU shoe-throwing fame, Marco Wilson, takes it and goes to the house. There was that really, I mean, you give credit to the photographer on that play because they had this incredible shot of Andy Dolan walking up the field, you know, <laughs> just with rage in his eyes and Marco Wilson like flying through the air into the end zone. It was Marco Wilson's going to have that framed over his fireplace in the near future, I imagine. But that's not what you want to see from Marquez Callaway. And when I say Andy Dalton loves Marquez, you can see it on the next play, literally the next play right back to him, right back to him, <laughs> right back to him. A couple plays later, he goes to him down the sideline and Marquez gets the ball in his hand. It gets dislodged. It goes out of bounds. Got to hold on to that ball. Like he had time to secure it. And I, I get it. He took a big hit. But, you know, when, when you are now the goat of that game because you had that terrible play, you got to get your quarterback back. And he had a chance to do it right there. And he was not able to. Next play, very next play. Andy Dalton gets hit. You know, I still think he should have done a better job of being aware of the rush. That's been my, one of my criticisms of him is, you know, I get it. He's getting hit. He's getting pressure. But, you know, it's like it's on the quarterback to some extent to be aware of where the pressure is coming from and to get the ball out or at the very least protect the ball. And, you know, if if Marquez Callaway catches that ball, you're probably running on that play, right? So gets hit. The ball ends up in Isaiah Simmons' hands. And the second that happened, you're like, well, shit. Because, you know, Isaiah Sims might be the fastest guy on the field. Like, he, if you're, if you're throwing an interception to somebody in the middle of the field with nobody around him, you know, you just got to hope that he stumbles. Because Isaiah Simmons is going all the way, and that's what he did. And, you know, Marquez, you know, he only had six targets in the game. He caught two of them for 20 yards. You got to do more than that. You got to do more than that. And, and he's a dud in this game for me. Yeah, and unfortunately, he's put in the position again where he's, I guess you would say, playing, has to play up from where he really should be on this wide receiving depth chart because of the injuries. But that's not an excuse. Like when, when you're called upon, you need to be there. And yeah, I, I think, you know, he's been a big physical target, someone that you have been able to rely upon in the past, but there's just so many, I guess you'd say so many dirty hands in all this. It's hard to really pinpoint, you know, just two guys as we're doing as duds, but because there's, there's plenty of blame to go around here. Yeah, and, you know, since you got to name an honorable mention stud, I'm going to also give it to Chris Olave. This is another yes. game where Chris Olave had 14 targets. You know, if you look at this, if you look at this score sheet, one of the things that stands out is on both sides, these teams had star receivers that were the prime focus in the passing game. Both DeAndre Hopkins and Chris Olave had 14 targets. DeAndre caught 10 of them for 103 yards. Olave caught seven of his for 106 yards. His long came from actually from Taysom Hill. That was that 41-yard catch and run. I think he's 10th in the league in targets this season. He's, I want to say, 5th in the league in, in receiving yards. The Saints have played an extra game, but he hasn't. He's played roughly the same as everyone else because uh, he did miss that game. So, you know, there's a few things you can say with positivity, and one is that two of your top three rookies have been standout performers, and you you haven't seen Trevor Penning yet, but you have high hopes for him. So, you know, as you go forward, at the very least, you can say they, this rookie class looks good, but, you know, the veterans don't. The veterans have been struggling. And I'm going to give an honorable dud to a position group because it's hard to pick one, but the interior D-line absolutely has not done it. You know, David Onyemata is, the, is supposed to be the leader of that group. have not heard his name nearly enough. You know, Eno Benjamin ran for 92 yards and a touchdown. So, yeah, I mean, this just was an ugly, an ugly performance all around. And we could sit here all day and, and talk about all the struggles. Like Mick Finette finally got his chance. 
and he couldn't hold up in the blocking game. So that's not a good look for him. Um, it's just, it just wasn't good. No. And I think one, one of the big disappointments all season, you just had mentioned in uh, a guy like David Onyemata, you know, he, he went through that six game suspension last year. And so when he came back, there was a little bit of, Oh, he's just getting back in the motion, getting into game shape, knocking off that rust, but it just doesn't seem like he's ever returned to form pre, you know, pre suspension. And I, I don't know, maybe, a guy that needed those performance enhancing drugs to be a factor because at this point, since coming back now, he has not been. I don't know about that. <laughs> it's being a bit harsh, but I mean, what am I supposed to think right now? Yeah, well, he's not playing well, but, but I mean like, the, so the reason I don't, I don't like that statement is, you know, in a lot of instances, the PEDs are like weight loss pills. Well, we, like we need it, get... it doesn't mean he's, he was taking steroids. Like that's that's why I don't I don't like that statement because like you know remember remember with Deuce way back when with the right, star, the star caps, caps fiasco like right. when you're saying performance enhancing substances all of that is lumped together right so like in, in a lot of cases with linemen you have weight clauses in your contracts and so you're trying to get under that and so. I, I, I'm not going to go there with with that. Well, I, I don't get, think that's a fair thing. Let's get some weight back on him, then, please. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, he's not playing well, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go there and say, oh, well, maybe if he's still like, because we don't know what what that what the issue was. Um, anyway, anyone else you want to throw under the bus there, Steve? Uh, I guess there's a lot of saints you could throw under the bus right now. It just uh, my biggest problem though is a lot of it is uh, you mentioned with the Dennis Allen and, and his play calling. I just think having three defensive coordinators especially right now looks ridiculous. And then just, I don't agree with a lot of usage of guys, Shahid, Taysom Hill, uh, Pete Carmichael, not giving the ball to Alvin Kamara more in the red zone situations. I think it's absolutely ludicrous. The guy's got AK Alvin Kamara, one of the league's top running backs, zero, zero touchdowns this year. And I know that's good. that definitely makes fantasy football fans furious. Yeah, unless you have Taysom Hill, because Taysom <laughs> right. Hill is tied for the NFL lead in touchdowns for well, for non-quarterbacks. I guess as much as I'm complaining about his lack of usage, right, he's still got the bulk of the, the scores for this team right now. Yeah, right. Funny thing is, like, if Taysom Hill had failed more in the red zone, I think Alvin Kamara would have touchdowns. Because, like, you, you give Taysom that chance, and he yeah. goes, and, he's, and he, met, he fails, and then it probably gets handed to Alvin Kamara on second down. In a lot of instances, you're scoring on first down on Taysom Hill, but it's, it's weird. And, yeah, I don't have anyone else I want to throw under the bus either, but there may be some players I want to put on a bus. Oh. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that when we come back here on Inside Black and Gold, brought to you by the Lamarck Automotive Complex. Is it time? Is it time for a fire sale? Let's talk about it. Closing things out here on Inside Black and Gold. Steve Geller, Jeff Nowak, brought to you by the Lamarck Automotive Complex. There must be a reason. And I'm going to ask Jeff his reason here because he's going to lay out a maybe unheard of proposition to some Saints fans of what the Black and Gold may or should try and do with one of their maybe most favorite star on this team right now. Well, yeah, you know, it's, and it's not about it's not about the player. It's just about the situation you find yourself in. And I think that if you're the Saints and you're staring down the barrel of two and five and you have very, very few options to improve, right? Like you've seen everybody. Like you could say you get the players back. You've seen the players. 
You know, he didn't play well when they were when they were playing. So why would you assume that you get these guys back healthy and all of a sudden you're a team that's not only going to win? Like, it's not about whether you can win a few games in order to make the playoffs, which has to be the goal. Or why are you bothering? In order to make the playoffs, what would you say you have to get to? You have to get to at least eight and nine to have I'd a chance. Say, to have a chance. Say nine wins, right? I don't chance. even know if eight and nine will do it. I don't know. I don't think so either. But just to have a because this is a down year, <laughs> and you might win this win the NFC South with an eight and nine record. You might. I'm not saying you you will. I'm just right. saying that I, there there's the slim that. chance even to do that. This team, this two and five football team, will have to go six and four the rest of the way. Oof. Right. I don't know if that's possible. And that's to go eight and nine and to give yourself a slim chance of backing in and like a Seahawks beast quake year level, level, level turnaround to the point where you get in and maybe surprise somebody like that's what you have to do to get that in order to get to nine wins and go nine and eight and kind of a repeat of last year. You need to go seven and three to get to 10 wins to really feel comfortable about it. You need to go eight and two. This two and five team would have to finish eight and two. So like, sure. Could it happen? Yeah. Is it, is it likely? Would you bet on it? Absolutely not. Right. So if you're looking at that and you're saying, okay, this team with an aging defense with players that at best, you know, if you end up having to tear this thing down and rebuild would not survive it, you know, you have to start looking at it. And so who is your best asset that you could potentially trade before the trade deadline, which is November 1st. So even if you go out and beat the Raiders, you're not even 500. You're two games under 500. And that's the last game you're going to see before the trade deadline. And you saw what, what the Panthers were able to do with Christian McCaffrey. They sent him to San Francisco. They got a second, a third, and a fourth round pick in the upcoming draft and a fifth round pick in 2024. I wonder if DJ Moore is next over there. Well, right. And so they also traded Robbie Anderson. Obviously, he was kind of a, you know, he's not, I wouldn't call him a star, but, you know, I think that's what you start doing when you were a team in this, in this position with an aging defense and you were paying a lot of money and you have a lot invested in a running back who was 27 years old. So, like, if you do have to tear it down and rebuild, you know, it's not going to be a one-year thing. You don't have a first-round pick next year. Would Alvin Kamara still be a guy who you trust two years from now at 29 years old? Like, running backs typically don't make it past 30 in the NFL, at least not at a high level. So, would you, you won't be able to trade him at that point. So, I think if you wanted to try to find a way to get assets on this team that you can use to rebuild, you have to start looking at some of these players. And I think Alvin Kamara is the one who would – give you the best return if you decided to to ship him out now a team like the ravens we're recording this over the weekend the ravens find out jk dobbins is having surgery and he's going to be out four to six weeks they also have Kenyon drake i don't know how much they trust Kenyon drake but if you're the ravens and you are deciding whether you have to pay lamar and this is a season where you feel like you have a chance would you not be like, okay, yeah, we've had really good experiences with with former Saints running backs. <laughs> we had Latavius Murray in town last year. We signed Mark Ingram as a free agent when he left the Saints. You know, this is a team that also signed, you know, Willie Sneed. They just signed Marcus Williams. They know a lot about the Saints. What if they came in and said, hey, we'll give you a second and third round pick for Alvin Kamara. What do you say? And I've, I have a lot of questions about whether this roster can compete already and you traded your first round pick this upcoming season. You traded your second round pick in 2024. You need to be in asset collection mode. And I think Alvin Kamara makes the most sense. And I would be very receptive to, to, to teams coming and trying to trade for him. I understand where you're going there, but to me, he's just way too important of a piece. I'm not going to say your only offensive weapon. Obviously Chris Olave has shown 
that he's been an outstanding, you know, pick, a rookie for this team. But Kamara is also a guy that is a team leader, someone that I think would be your main captain on offense, considering the issues at quarterback. And I know he gave a, a speech to the team after this game in Arizona, trying to rally the guys and just, man, I can't, I can't even fathom what the fan fallout would be. I know the team's not, not really caring or thinking about that, but you know, they got rid of already one guy that the, the, the fans loved and CJ Gardner Johnson. We see how that's panned out. Didn't really get much in return. I understand the wanting to collect assets. I understand Kamara being a top viable option for that. And even, you know what, add into that, he's got a suspension that's looming on him. You know, that's maybe not happened this year. It might happen next year, but the person, the player, and what he means to this offense to me is just way too much to even think about dealing off, unless they're going to blow me away with it. Ha- it have to be even a first round pick, which I don't. I don't think a twenty seven year old running back would get. It would be a signal that you are not going to be competitive this season, and you are accepting that. And this has been a team that just has never been willing to do that. And so that's why I. I'm not saying that this is going to happen. I'm just right. making the case for why it should. And that's why, like, that would be you signaling that, yeah, we are not trying to win this season. And the only thing that's really makes that difficult is your own mistake in overestimating your chances to be competitive with this roster. Because if you had your own first round pick, I think you would have already done it. I think you would have been out there side by side with the Panthers and saying, okay, would you, would you rather CMC or, or AK, right? Well, which one would you want? Because we are right there with you because I don't think this team is going to compete. I really don't. You know, they might find a way to fight back closer to 500 and they're going to have every reason to do that, right? This isn't going to be a team that's going to go in the tank because I just don't think that there's value in it. But, you know, if the best thing you can say about this season is it ends up giving you a high second round pick, that's a problem. And so, you know, you look at a guy like Alvin Kamara. I look at a guy like Cam Jordan. I look at a guy... Tano Passanio is interesting to me, right? Nick Vanette is interesting to me. Like, these are all people who might have value to other teams and you could start to recoup some value and hopefully, you know, your trip to the bottom is not, is not extended, but I think that it's coming. It's, it's, it's coming and you just have to kind of live with it and keep in mind. Yeah. Like you mentioned, Alvin Kamara has a suspension looming. (laughs) You can kind of get out from under that and someone is willing to give you assets to me. That's found money. And I also think to an extent, like, you know, I'm not, I, I love Alvin. Alvin's one of my favorite players. I enjoy sure. covering him. I enjoy watching him play. I want to see him get a chance to succeed. You know, I'm, I'm getting tired of watching him get wasted, his prime get wasted. And that's what's happened the last two seasons. And that's what's going to happen if you just continue to just put him out there, right? So, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that it's going to happen. I would actually bet against it happening. But I think that if this team is honest with itself, like, and it's not about assigning blame to anybody, it's about looking in the mirror and being honest about what you see there. And I think if this team is being honest with itself, it is not in this position that it can be competitive, like seriously competitive with the current shape of the roster. And, and I think, you know, anytime you can't say for sure who your starting quarterback is going to be going forward, you should be considering a rebuild. Because until you have that player in place, you don't know. And if you can collect enough assets that maybe the guy you like in next year's draft, which is loaded with quarterbacks, you're able to trade up and go get them because you have a high second round pick and you have a bunch of other pieces that you can throw somewhere and you can get into the minute, minute back of the second round where you were expecting to be picking anyway. 
I think you have some, something you have to consider. And, you know, you just start dangling names, right? You say, okay, you know, competitive team A, where you are you interested in Alvin? Competitive team B, are you interested in a Cam? You know, competitive team C, are you interested in David Onyemata? Like some of these veterans who probably wouldn't survive a rebuild. Do you think with like the emergence of Alante Taylor and you also have Paulson Adebo, could Marshawn, another guy from that, that Calvin draft class be on the block, but it's, I mean, it's, it's just tough to to predict where you could go there, but I feel like the saints have at least some depth at the corner position where they could maybe survive without Marshawn. I'd say that's unlikely one because cornerback careers last a lot longer. You know, the, the, the longevity is yeah. there and you have an elite top end cornerback. And so I think you hang on to that. Like, where you don't sell off players when you're trying to rebuild is the secondary, in my opinion, and the offensive lines. Everything else is on the table. You're not trading young players. You're not trading players on rookie contracts. You know, you're trading skill position players on offense, linebackers on defense. You know, I don't think you're going to trade Demario, but you know, that would be kind of in that range where, yeah, like, yeah. yeah, okay, a veteran guy who is probably on his last contract and can help a team right now. And that's why the Ravens are interesting to me because that's a team that probably feels like they can go win a Super Bowl with all if they have the pieces. And maybe they will be willing to go all in. Maybe they will be willing to do what the Rams did last year and even look past the fact that Alvin might not be there <laughs> for the first six games next season. So that's yep. where I'm at. And it's really just, just a matter of saying, okay, this team is not good enough. It, you Either you tear it down now or you just struggle and struggle and hope that you can be a mediocre team for a longer period of time. And I think that's just a recipe for bad things. And it's a recipe to just have this kind of team crumble, but because you're close, right? Like look at all these veteran pieces that uh, you don't, you don't see getting better, right? They're either, they're either in their prime or on the back end of their career. They're not ascending. You know, right. you have Chris Olave, you have Alante Taylor. I think Marshawn is still early enough in his career that you're not moving on from him. You have Paulson Adebo. And, and then otherwise, what? A few offensive linemen that you feel okay about? No, and, and safety's been a mess this year. Yeah, and, and I just, I think you you have to, you have to be honest and you have to just, just figure it out. The bigger question to me, it's not, I, I think that that should be a no-brainer. But the bigger question to me is like, if you are rebuilding, do you do it with Dennis Allen or without him? Either way, I think that you need to be smart because if you do not, if you are not proactive about this and this roster kind of crumbles beneath your feet, you could be bad for a long time. You know, this team hasn't had to experience that for a while, right? They've gone felt, two almost two like decades without the, having to needed, scrape the bottom of the barrel. I felt like you needed uh, like that lightning and thunder sound effect. As you just said that they could be good for a long, bad for a long time. Yeah. Like you talk about free agents wanting to sign here. You know, no, no free agent wants to go sign with a bad team, right? See, I don't even know if right, you can rebuild right. that way. And we've heard all along, like even a Demar Davis mentioned, like the fact that he came to New Orleans was because he wanted to play with Drew Brees, who was post game in the Saints locker room with his kiddos. I uh, thought it was kind of amusing to see that. I was like, wait a minute, is Drew back? And as no, he was just visiting. Apparently, I obviously not seeing the television. He was in the stands watching the game as well. The Saints were a destination with Drew and Sean Payton. Right now, obviously, that's not the case. Yeah, I mean, they got, they got Jarvis. You know, they got the hometown people coming back, and that's one thing, right? Like, you were able to go get Tyron. You are able to go get, get Jarvis. Um, but, like, that's not a sign that they're a destination. It's just a sign that they want. They were happy to come home. But, yeah, that's, that's my thing. 
you know, again, it's not about Alvin, the player. I love Alvin, the player. I love Alvin, the, the person at the personality, but yeah, I mean, business. No, I, I, I get what you're saying for sure. It's just really tough to stomach. That's definitely a gut punch. If you, if you deal Alvin, a huge white flag that you're waving for sure. 100% a gut punch. And it would indicate that he's not the only player that's, that would be getting shopped. Right. And I don't want to see Cam Jordan play anywhere else either, but you know what I do want to see is Alvin and Cam get a chance to win a Super Bowl. Fair. So like I like it's a gut punch, but it's also like it's a necessary thing at a certain point, right? Like the Falcons traded Matt Ryan this year. You know, like it like it's something that has to happen. If you are not in position to win, you have to kind of recycle. And that that's and the frustrating part, the biggest point of frustration is the fact that you are already sunk in cost in this season because you don't have that first round pick, which makes the decision to rebuild a minimum of a two-year process because you would also want to set it up so that, you know, like you're not kind of middle of the pack next year. Yeah. And that's the tough part. And it's like, I don't know if the, you know, the, like I had someone respond to me and was like, you know, everyone's freaking out about this. And somehow the people think they have the patience to go through a full rebuild. And like, I don't know if they will, like the fan base is going to have a real hard time watching that. And there, there's going to be a real hard time, uh, you know, getting behind Dennis Allen with a full year of watching bad football because the the the, the fan base isn't going to respect the idea of, you know, this is not a team that's trying to win right now. Not after 16 years of Drew Brees and Sean Payton where that was never even a thought on the table. And so, like, the question is, would trading Alvin right now be akin to firing your head coach? Because I think it might be. And whether it's it's now or next year, if that's a tough decision to make. And that's why like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's not even something they're considering because it is so difficult. But the trade deadline is November 1st. You have nine days to decide whether, whether this is a team that you want to keep intact. I, you know, if, if, any, if nothing else, I'm taking calls. Oh, absolutely. I know the phone's always, you know, you always answer the call. Another question too is what is the market going to be like for Sean Payton out there? about that hope i know everyone's you know wondering are they going to be able to recoup a first round pick if they saints are able to deal him and it's obviously going to come down to that demand and how many teams get into like that quote-unquote bidding war for sean services as much as i thought like denver could be a destination they don't even have a first round pick to offer up yeah i mean so that's yeah that's obviously part of the equation too is like what can be offered versus what people are willing to offer but yeah, I think that's probably part of the equation, right? If you are still trying to hang on to an Alvin. But like, again, you know, Alvin's 27 years old. Cam is in his 30s. Demario's in his 30s. You know, these are tough ages to suddenly be like, maybe two years from now, we'll, we'll be back, you know? Yeah. And you, you can't ask veterans to go through that, right? That's That's kind of my thing. It's like, I think you are doing a player a disservice if you are not looking to put them in a better situation when you are not honestly feeling like you can compete at a high level with the roster there. Right. And as a fan, you shouldn't want to see Alvin Kamara's career or or best years end on a six and 11 team. Fantasy football owners would agree with you right now. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Right. (laughs) You know, please get him out of there. You're not even putting him in position to put up big numbers. And, And if we're being honest, the part of this is like, I don't know if Jameis is the guy, right? At best, you know, he he might be the bridge. He might come out and come in and ball out and do whatever. 
But even if that's the case, you're kidding yourself if you think that the pairing of Jameis Winston and Alvin Kamara is optimal because it's absolutely not. It is absolutely not. Jameis needs to be with a guy like Leonard Fournette. You know, he needs to be with a guy like Derrick Henry, a guy whose best attribute is not catching the football, right? Like he needs someone who's going to get positive yards on first down, which which Alvin can be. Alvin can be that guy, but you're foregoing his best skill set by not throwing him the ball. And so even even if Jameis is your guy long term, you know, I think that Alvin doesn't make sense in that scenario. That's a huge question, too. I, I know a lot of people don't believe that the Saints future quarterback is obviously in the building right now. And I, I find it hard to disagree with that. Right. And if he's not, that means that, you know, there's a chance you trade for a guy. There's a chance you sign a guy, but more sure. likely you're trying to try to add that guy in the draft. And if that's the case, then you're not a year away. You're two years away because rookie quarterbacks do not compete at a high level in the NFL. That's just, you know, it's, it's inc- incredibly rare to see a rookie come in, a rookie quarterback come in and be elite in his first year. Right. Even like a guy like Mahomes didn't start right away. A guy like Aaron Rodgers didn't start right away. Tom Brady obviously did start in his rookie season, and he's probably the exception to that rule. The exception for everything. Yeah, I mean, well, and he'd still, even he didn't start to begin the season. He came in midway through after an injury. You know, Ben Roethlisberger was a guy who played pretty well right away. Eli Manning struggled. I think Peyton Manning had a really rough rookie season. So, like, all that kind of adds up to a 27-year-old running back on a roster that's not ready to compete should not be there. It took a team doctor for the Chargers to get Herbert in right. with that with that uh, that miss that's unfortunate ribbing punctured rib that they, they get to Tyrod Taylor. That, I think he punctured Tyrod Taylor's lung. Lung, that was it. And right, he right, right. Shot. Yeah, he must that's have been a big cool. Justin Herbert fan. <laughs> right, exactly. I got to get him in. Anyway, but that's it. That's that's that for me. Like I don't. I'm not going to harp on this anymore beyond like I'm I'm on record. I'm saying that. If the Saints are are being honest with themselves, they should it be shopping should be on the table, right? But and I understand I the argument not to. I understand everyone loves Alvin, and I understand that trading him would be a, as you put it, a great term for it, it would be a gut punch to Saints fans who are still holding out hope that you know there could be this wild turnaround. And you know maybe if if Jameis comes back in Week Eight and this offense clicks and everything looks perfect and you beat the Raiders and you have some optimism, maybe that, maybe that changes. But as of right now, after what we've seen and how, how hard this team has struggled and struggled in ways that you did not anticipate with the defense not being able to stop the run and not being able to force turnovers and all this, you know, it's hard to see that. And so this is, this is my gloomy take. If you can get a second-round pick and whatever else for Alvin Kamara right now, I'm taking it. I think that's been maybe the the biggest disappointment this year. I don't think it's so much the offensive ineptness or even the turnovers as as the fact that this defense has just not lived up to the billing on any way, shape, or form and just seems to be – it got old really quick, uh, honestly. And uh, I think maybe the underestimation of how much this team would miss – Marcus Williams and Malcolm Jenkins in the in the safety group because Tyron Matthew and Marcus May, they ain't it right now. They ain't living up to the hype at all. No, and you don't have young players. And that's the frustration for me is you don't have young players that could potentially step in and get a chance at some of these positions, right? Like, obviously, you have cornerback, you have defensive line, you have wide receiver. But, you know, there's no young safety that you're like, oh, let's see what he's got, right? How about that there's guy, no- Bell? Oh, wait a minute. 
Right. There's no young running back. Who, that's that's honestly the biggest reason that it's going to be annoying if they trade Alvin Kamara because it's not like you have a young running back that you can say, oh, let's see what they got. You have Mark Ingram, Dwayne Washington, you know, maybe Kirk Merritt. Maybe they finally give Kirk Merritt a chance. But even then, it's like you would wish they had spent like a fifth or sixth round pick on a running back, you know, who might be able to step in. But you just don't have that, you know, and, and that's like maybe you bring Abram Smith back. Maybe you do all these sorts of things, but it's going to be painful if it has to happen. But, you know, at a certain point, you just got to bite the bullet. And I think that's where the Saints are right now. You're ready to rip the Band-Aid off, huh? I am. I am. I'm ready to be a Pelicans fan. Ouch. Yeah, but they're, <laughs> they're looking great right now. Stars. I'm excited about it. Knowing the fact that you can see with that team, the unity, the bond, they look like a, a group that's that's played together this whole summer and was just hanging out, getting ready for this season. So, yeah, yeah they look, look like I wish the, the Saints hell. looked right now. I wish they looked like they had that kind of energy and cohesiveness with each other. Exactly, exactly. And that that's what has me feeling so glum. But anyways, this has been a fun podcast, hasn't it? I hope you I hope you leave this feeling like everything's going to get better. Because <laughs> that's that's definitely how I feel. I, th- I think that's, that's what my point boils down to, is I think everything's ready to turn around. But all right, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of Inside Black and Gold. We are getting back onto a normal schedule. We'll be back at it with an episode on Wednesday, another episode on Friday, previewing the Raiders. Thanks to everyone who joined us and listened. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. Give us a rating. Give us a review. And, uh, yeah, you know, who believes in miracles? Stay <laughs> hey, positive, who that? Peace.